You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Welcome. Hey, my name is Mike Hall. I'm an equipping pastor here at Bethel. Uh, Eric is not here right now. He's actually in Italy. Yeah, who needs him? I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Nobody needs him. He's, uh, he's in Italy with his wife, Susan. Uh, the Barton boys are here. They're having a keg party at their house, uh, recovering off of that. Just kidding. I don't, actually, I don't know if I'm kidding or not, but probably not. Uh, there he is this morning. He's, uh, he's actually uh, preaching right now. That's a translator next to them. And Robbie Roberts, he's a missionary at Bethel that we've been supporting for, uh, for over a decade in the work that they do there. Two decades, over two decades. Well, it's st- over a decade is still two decades, but I appreciate that. Uh, over a month, we've been supporting Robbie, uh, and it's, it's been good. So he's there. Hey, this morning, I'm real excited because I get to talk about something that Scripture uh, puts in context of a return on investment, an ROI. And I love to think about return on investment, and I love to think about when you put time and energy and money and resources in something to see what kind of return you get back. So I'm wired this way. I, when I listen to a podcast, I put it on 2.5 speed so I can get more out of it quicker. They sound a little bit like Alvin on the Chipmunks on Helium, but it's worth it to me to get through that faster. Uh, in the parable of the talents, I love to think through, uh, hey, they invested this much and they got X much, you know, Y back. I'm wondering how much time has elapsed in that period of time to figure out what is the APR on the investment that was given. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Evidently, they didn't think that was important, but I think it's important because I think you should put that against what the market was doing and see what was best. But Scripture doesn't say that again. I, I love to think in this direction. Um, Even multitasking, right? So there's been research done that says there's times to multitask and it is more effective and more efficient and there's times not to multitask. In fact, most of the time we shouldn't multitask according to this research. I tend to disagree. I think if we multitask, at least for me, it stimulates your brain and you can get things going faster and you can start thinking better and, and sometimes doing two things is even more efficient. I've been telling my wife this, that when she's talking to me, if I'm playing words with friends at the same time, I'm actually listening to her better and more effectively than if I'm not. So she, we've had this conversation, she says, no, I'd rather you not fully be engaged in the conversation with me and put the iPhone away. So I do, I put my phone down, I say, hey, you have 70% of my attention, go ahead. And then we, and obviously we have a great marriage. Um, it's a joy to be married to me here. She loves that. Hey, but, but here we're going to look at an ROI, a return on investment, when it comes to discipleship, or, or even more specifically, disciple making. So uh, in, in 2 Timothy, at chapter 2, we get to start by talking a little bit about what it means to be a disciple maker and what the return on that investment is. And it's, it's different. In fact, if we really look at it, it might even change how we do church, uh, which is safe, right? Now that Eric's out of town, let's mix things up, right? But it's a, it's a fascinating piece of scripture. And, and here's the other part. 
Uh, some of this comes from uh, 2 Timothy. When we made our graphic, uh, it, there's a communication department, and they came out, and you can see it right here. It, it says, 2 Timothy, the good fight. And I've got to tell you, when this came out, uh, about five hours later, we get an email saying, hey, here's the graphic for the 2 Timothy series. And I get a, a text message from Matt McGill that, that may or may not use explicit language. Uh, it didn't, but it was implied. But what are we doing? Why, how in the world would we say the good fight is a graphic? That's a horrible phrase to use. And Eric's like, you know, it came from Scripture, right? And I was like, no, but he's right. In our context, we have to be very careful about saying the good fight. Because if we're not careful, what it sounds like is as a Christian, we have to try harder to be good. We've got to work really, really hard to maybe do more good deeds or to sin less. And that's our responsibility. So come on, Christians. Come on, church. Muster up the strength and try real hard to be good. And if that's what you think on what it means to be a Christian, let me encourage you to stop thinking that way. Because that's not what Scripture says. That's not the good fight. Isn't to muster up enough energy to be better, to be gooder. No. That's, well, that, that's why grace is here. That's what Christianity is for, and that's what it's about. So even in this Scripture, when we turn to, it, it begins this way. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And let's even just look to see how this starts. I, I love this. Verse 1, right at the beginning of the passage, Paul tells Timothy, uh, first of all, right, we have chapter 1 where he's just told him, hey, don't be ashamed, share in the suffering, guard the deposit. And then we move to chapter 2, and he says, be strengthened by grace. Okay, now let me tell you about this word strengthened here. Uh, the Greek uh, word, for, and by the way, I don't know Greek. I, I tell you this, uh, one, because it's very cool. Second, I do... I don't preach much, and I want you to think I'm awesome. So if I say Greek, then you go, oh, man, he must be really smart. I'm not, I read this stuff, right? So, so anyone can do this. Um, so the word, the word here, strengthened, it is a present passive imperative. Okay, a present passive imperative. Let me tell you what that means. The imperative part means it's a command. Okay, so this is something that Paul is telling Timothy. It's a command to be strengthened. All right? The, the present means this is something that is not uh, a one-time thing or something that will happen in the future, but this is an ongoing thing, okay? This is uh, the mark of a Christian that is something they are continuously doing. And the passive is something that's being done to him. So this is interesting because uh, theologians call this a divine passive or a divine passivity, that to be strengthened is not something that you can do yourself. You can't muster up your own strength. No, it's a strength that's happened to you or will happen to you. And this is another interesting part of this piece of Scripture, and there's a whole lot of Scriptures not this way, but because the application is universal. Yes, Paul is talking to Timothy, and this is for him, but the application is for all of us. We can, in a sense, put ourselves in this situation, and we can say this divine passivity of being strengthened can come from God to us. So when we talk about fighting the fight or fighting the good fight, it's not about us mustering something up. It's about simply having faith. It's about believing. And the strength then comes from God through us. So that's how we start. Okay, so, so let's move on here. Paul's telling Timothy, 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So this is the subject matter, right? Uh, just wrote, this is what Paul's been saying in front of a lot of people. So this isn't the back room stuff. Hey, Timothy, here's what's going on. Or the, hey, they're at the pub and they've had a couple beers and he's on a spiritual soapbox. No, this is the stuff in front of a lot of people. This is the gospel that we're talking about. So he said, and what you have heard from me from the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is disciple making. It's what disciples do. They make other disciples. To define it this way, disciple making is to intentionally and relationally invest oneself in the spiritual growth and maturity to a few disciples who will then disciples other. Disciple others. This, uh, this is modeled by Jesus, right? So he spoke to thousands of people he got alone to pray, but the, the bulk of his ministry was spent with a few. I love in Mark chapter 3, he appointed 12 so that they may be with him all the time. This is perfect in, in Luke 9, 18. I love this. Scripture says, while Jesus was praying alone and his disciples were with him, wait, which was it? He was praying alone, but his disciples are with him. What a, a loss of privacy. I, I was trying to think of what does this look like? The only thing I could think of is the new mom trying to go to the bathroom with toddlers, right? That they're always there. That's disciple making. That they're, you're not alone. You lose the privacy in this. That Jesus, Jesus' ministerial focus, it, it wasn't on Bible studies, or quiet times, or speaking to the thousands, what drove Jesus' ministry was investing in the few that would lead to the leaders of the church after he had gone away to be with the Father. And this discipleship-making process, it's, it's slow, and it's hard, and it's costly. Sometimes heartbreak, sometimes tears. There's nothing like a heartbreak than you get to invest hours and hours in someone to have them not care. And it, the ROI for disciple making, it's a, it's a long game. We don't do hardly anything else in this way. Imagine if we were to run our businesses this way. Typically a business would look at, hey, what happens the next month over last month, the next quarter, maybe even the next year. I mean, the foundry. What if at Bethel, we said, hey, we're thinking about starting a coffee shop, and uh, it's going to be for the community. It's going to be it's gonna reflect God. It's going to be a way for people to understand more about Bethel and what we're doing. But it also has to be a business. We want it to be profitable. And we went to the trustees and said, okay, here's our plan. We're going to make three really good cups of coffee, and we're going to give those to three people. Okay, okay, then what? Well, then the next day, we're going to give those same three people more coffee. Okay, and then... We're going to invite those three people back again. And the trustees are going, okay, and then are you going to make a Facebook page? Right? Like, so how, how are you going to let people know? No, that's it. It wouldn't work. But in churches, we, we kind of default sometimes to the same thing. Hey, our job as a church is to let the world know about Jesus. Okay, so what are we going to do? Do we just say, hey, let's just all just meet with a couple of people and hang out with just them all the time? We typically don't. We think, let's have a big program. Let's invite a big speaker in. Let's reach the city in a big hoopla. Uh, e even let's do more Sunday school or, or more life groups. But the hard work, the grunt work of disciple making, it oftentimes takes a back seat because 
It's hard work. It's grunt. So, you know, here, here's one of the things when we look at church. David Weekly, who's a, a home builder and a philanthropist in Houston, he has a great thought that I love. He says, be careful of what you measure because you'll hit it at the expense of everything else. I wonder if at Bethel, we said, what if the only thing we measured is how well we do disciple making? What would that look like? I imagine in six months it wouldn't look like much at all, which is why it's a hard ROI. But if we fast forward years and decade, it could be amazing what that looked like, what that would look like. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to take a deeper dive this morning using 2 Timothy chapter 2 as a model for disciple making and actually use the scripture to show, as scripture tells us, what the cost of discipleship making is and then at the same time, what the joy that comes with it looks like. I'm going to point here in Thessalonians. There's a joy here that... Paul says loving the Thessal- in loving the Thessalonians that he was well pleased not only to give the gospel but his life himself. Uh, hear that phrase that Paul's saying, I am so delighted. I love not only giving you the gospel, which at that point in time, uh, uh, kind of the, the Jesus juke would say, nope, the gospel's enough. Paul says, no, no, not only the gospel but also my life. That there's something about this life on life discipleship making with the gospel that puts some more meat on the bones. I mean, if it was only just hearing the gospel, here at Bethel, we can be kind of cutting edge and we could do the math. We could say, hey, look, there's, uh, let's say, 100,000 people in Tyler. Uh, We could probably get a 20-minute gospel message. We could put it on an MP3. We could give everyone headphones. And we could even say, hey, look, we'll give you 10 bucks if you listen to this 20 minutes. I'm sure a lot of people say, hey, 10 bucks, 20 minutes. Sure, I'll put the headphones on. They listen to the headphones. We do a big fundraiser. It costs us maybe a million and a half dollars, which is a lot, but we could have a capital campaign. And then everybody in Tyler would know the gospel, and we'd be done. I guess move on to the next city. Here we come, Fort Worth, right? But it, it doesn't work that way. And Paul knows that because he's saying, I need to share my life with you as well. Okay, so let's turn here to 2 Timothy. Now, we've talked about this divine passivity, right? That that the strength that comes from within. And now we look at verse 3, that we are to share in the sufferings as good soldier of Christ Jesus. This share in the suffering, one of the first costs in discipleship is you're going to have opposition. It's going to be hard. You're going to share in suffering. And why is this? Well, if you're a a Christian and you're just going to be, there's not a whole lot of people who need to oppose that. That's fine. That's great. But there's, there's not a need for opposition. But if you're a disciple who is going to disciple make, who's going to talk to others about being a disciple, well, now you're proselytizing. And that's not okay. There's reason to have opposition if you're going to be someone who's a disciple maker. We move in with the soldier piece, that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So the soldier doesn't get entangled in in the civilian pursuits. He's focused on what he needs to be focused on. That discipleship making costs your attention. Not not only will we miss smartphoning our things to death and 
and uh, having attention for our calendars, but also the attention of fully being present where we are. I was joking, obviously, with the words of friends with my wife. There is a, a sense in discipleship making that it is hard energy to give someone your attention. You, you've been here, right? You're talking with someone and you're listening and you're really listening. You're going, what are they saying? What are the words behind what they're saying? What do they really mean? And at the same time, being in tune with the Holy Spirit who lives inside you to say, Lord, what do you have for me in this conversation? Am I to share scripture? Am I going to be quiet? Am I going to ask a question? Am I going to give a piece of advice? How does this work? And to be in tune with that takes a lot of work and energy and takes a lot of attention. It costs you your attention on your calendar and as well in the moment if you're going to be a disciple maker. We move, continuing there in, in verse 4, right? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Cost number three is pleasing others, to die to the fact that you're going to please others. It's the soldier's aim to please the one that has enlisted him. For us, if we're going to be a disciple maker, we're not going to be able to please everybody. We're, we're going to please our father. That's our goal. And then there might be a list of people that you say, these are the people I'm going to please. A, a mentor of, of mine once said, the easiest way to say no is to clearly define your yes. What if we clearly defined our yes and who we were going to invest in? What would we say? Probably your, your spouse. Write their name down. Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend, unless you broke up and then you'd cross their name off and go to the next one. Your kids, you want to invest in your kids. And then who might be the two or three other people that you say, Lord, are you to have me invest in them? I mean, you want to be careful with this, right? Jesus, when he picked his 12, that he, he went alone and prayed throughout the entire night. And by the way, he picked Judas as one of his 12. It wasn't a mistake. That if we're going to pick some people to disciple, that's a prayerful thing. It's something to think about and go, okay, Lord, who do you have for me? And then when you feel like, hey, I have my marching orders, I know who it is I am to please. I say please, right? Who I am to invest in. Then you can say, hey, that thing, that's good, but it's not for me. It might not be great. It's not my thing. It's not my marching orders. That might be a fun activity for some of you is to write those names down and between now in the end of the year to say, these are the people I'm going to invest in. This is where I'm going to give my heart and my mind and my energy, my soul and my heartache, and I'm going to put a, a lot of cost on this right here. Move on here in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The picture of an athlete who lays it all out on the table, who works hard, who sweats an athlete, he or she, spends a lot of energy. The cost of disciple-making is energy. And keep in mind, remember this divine passivity, right? In fact, it's mentioned again. I'm going to go ahead and read First Peter in chapter 4. Let us serve with the strength that God supplies, that he might be glorified. It is not a willpower that we're talking about here. Also, in this verse 5, right? An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There's no shortcuts in this. That this is perseverance. This is not something that's really even very scalable. Disciples 
who make disciples who make disciples. It's not a, a mass-produced kind of thing. And some people even try to do that. You've probably gotten one of those bad mail merge emails. It's, you know, like, dear Mike, space, comma, so good to know you, right? And you're like, that's not me. That it doesn't work. You can't, you can't scale life-on-life uh, -life discipleship. All right, moving on. Verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Nobody gets into farming to be famous, right? I told my wife, there's no famous farmers, and then she started like naming three. I'm like, that's not, they're not famous. That's like your weird little niche that you do things with. There are, like Nike isn't calling, you know, Bubba Jones and saying, hey, could you sponsor our shoe with your corn cropping, right? It doesn't happen. That if you're going to be a disciple maker, you're going to get to lead with humility. And there's a cost to that. If you want to be a famous Christian, I mean, there's ways, right? Like you could uh, instead, like, uh, oh, write a book, and then you would go on a speaking circuit, and you would go to speak at places that have like one-word names like Ignite and Catalyst and Vertical and these different things. And then uh, people, you'd sign books and, you know, take pictures, and you'd be really famous and really awesome. But that's not disciple-making. That's not what God's calling us to. And another piece of, of a farmer, this, this isn't one of the points, this is a bonus point, uh, is if you're a, that's what happens when you do, oh yeah, this one too, right? Uh, if you're a farmer, th there's a lot of things you can't control. You can't control the, the weather or the temperature. That's weather, right? Or funguses or insects. Or if you read the label wrong and you spray your vines with the wrong thing and half of them die, there's a lot of things that, that you can't control. And disciple-making, it, it's a lot of the same way. That you can get all in, and it costs you a whole bunch, and there's a whole lot that is out of your control. In fact, that's probably true about most of life, right? But that's another deal. The next piece, next cost, and the last cost here, is time. Again, you look at a, a farmer, you don't plant your seed and start eating peaches the next day. At best case scenario, you, you might be waiting two or three months, and some crops might be four or five years. The disciple making is not a quick ROI, right? It's the long game. But here's the piece. In general, disciple making is hard work. Uh, in fact, it, it's almost like you're giving your life away if you're going to be a disciple maker. But this is the fun thing that Jesus tells us. Is that if we want to find life, we've got to lose our life. To actually live is to die to yourself. And in that, there is real life. And there is real joy. Uh, you know, we look in, in this same picture. We talk about the, the soldier who gets to fight a battle bigger than themselves. Or the athlete who will receive a crown or the farmer who gets to get the first share of crops, which is an interesting piece as well, right? Because if you had the first share of crops, that means you're not hungry. And if you're a disciple maker, you get to actually share with other people, but you yourself have been fed. And there's a joy, right? First Thessalonians chapter two. And Paul says, what is our hope, our joy, our boasting? I think the right answer is Jesus, right? 
says it would, it's you. Again, that Paul talks about the human relationship with the gospel being where joy is. All right, so we move to, to verse 7. And here Paul writes, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, this word think, uh, the Greek here, it's, it's nos, it's to think. The other Greek word that it, uh, can be used, it's not in the, the New Testament, for thinking is muse. And so in Greek, if you want to say the opposite of something, you put the letter A in front of it, so amuse or amuse, right? You know this word, to be amused or go to an amusement park. That word, to say the opposite of musing, is to try to avoid thinking. In our world, we have lots of ways to avoid thinking. But what we're doing here is we are intentionally trying to think. We are focusing on these things. We're using our brain power to go, okay, let's, let's think through this. And what are we thinking about in the sense of the divine passivity in disciple-making? To remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. All of this sharing in the suffering, the enduring, the giving your life away for the sake of discipleship making, the imparting the gospel through life on life, the hard work. Paul said, hey, we're going to gladly endure this. We're going to be bound in this because you know what? Even though we might be bound, even though we're enduring, the gospel is not bound. It is free. And it can go and give life and so we'll endure this hardship. And then Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. Now in the Pauline epistles, there's five times that Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. And what he's about to say after this is a bit of a hymn or a, a psalm. So on one hand, he's saying, hey, think about this. Use your head, use your brain, but then I'm also going to give you a song as well. So I want you to use your head on this. I want you to use your heart on this as well. And it has this uh, cadence to it. it. We'll go here in, in verse 11. Paul says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Right? If we are part of the elect, and we have, uh, w- if we are in Christ, we have died with Christ on the cross. Right? We are in him, and our sin is put to death. And so we can live with him. Uh, and John says, eternal life is that. Oh, that is so embarrassing, Tony. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I do this like once a year, right? <laughs> Everyone else is finding that vibrate button real quick, aren't they? <laughs> right? So, this is the gospel that if we're in Christ, and he died on the cross, our sin is dead with him, and so that we can live with him. And then verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign him, right? So if, in him. so if we're part of the elect, if we're in Christ, when we endure, we'll, we'll get to reign with him for the rest of life. And then verse 12, talking about those who do not believe, that if we deny him, he will deny us. If we're not the elect, then we've denied him, and we're not going to believe him. Believe in him, then 
God the Father will deny us as well. But then to be clear, Scripture says, hey, but if you are in Christ, if you believe in Him, that when you're faithless, and as Christians, we're faithless all the time, right? When we sin, He remains faithful. We're going to fall short, but God is faithful. And then it ends abruptly, the, the hymn in verse 13, for he cannot deny himself. Because we are in Christ, Christ cannot deny himself. So even though we are faithless, he is faithful. So here, discipleship making is hard. Scripture's clear. There are, there are costs to count. And we have to endure by the divine passivity that God has given to us, by strength that we can't muster up, but that God gives us. And so here's what I want us to do. I want to give everyone an opportunity to say, hey, this is hard, but I'm in. And so here's how I want to do this. There's some people here who, like the farmer, are saying, hey, I'm full, and I have bandwidth, or I even don't have bandwidth, but I feel called, and I'm going to make bandwidth, to spend time and disciple somebody. And so here's what I'd like you to do, is to take some time and pray through that, to say, Lord, who might be on my list of who I need to disciple? And then have a courageous conversation to go to someone and say, hey, I've been a Christian for a little while, and I'd love to have coffee with you, maybe every other week for the next six months, and just sort of listen to you and hear your story and see if I can be helpful. It can be that simple. And I imagine that if you have the courage to do that to somebody, that person on the other end, uh, they will be thankful. I'd encourage you to put an end date on it so it doesn't have to go forever. I'll tell you, there's a guy named Ronnie Smith that I've been meeting with for 21 years. And I, I was in Lufkin, living there at the time, and he was living in Waco. And we would meet at the Jack in the Box in Centerville. And although I don't believe that there's this sacred land kind of place and different, if I did, it would be the jack-in-the-box in Centerville. Because <laughs> when I drive by, Gen- by Centerville and I see that jack-in-the-box even now, I go, ah, that was good for my soul and still is good for my soul. That I got to talk with Ronnie about Heather and whether or not we should get married or not and about life and scripture and jobs and careers and what does it do and my sin and my junk and he got to come alongside and show me grace. Ah, and it was good. So maybe, maybe you're someone who's saying, hey, I've got some bandwidth to disciple someone. I'd encourage you to pray and to point to someone and say, let's meet. Maybe you're on the other side. And you're going, golly, I could use somebody investing in me. Take the time and pray through who that might be and go to them and say, hey, would you meet with me every other week for the next six months and share life with me and talk with me? And if that's going to be you, let me, uh, let me tell you, take it seriously. Know that what you're asking them is one, going to cost them a lot, but it's worth it to them. It is. So if you say you're going to be somewhere, show up, be there, right? Be ready to lean in and learn. Okay, now, there's also some folks who are going, hey, look, I'm in. I either want to be a discipler or I want to be a, dis- a disciple uh, E. 
but I don't really know anyone, and I don't know how to do that. Well, here at Bethel, we are not match.com. We don't do personal personality profiles and figure out, okay, you listen to rock and you listen to Christian, and rah, okay, or, or farmer friendly, whatever that one is. <laughs> not that at all. But we'll give it a shot. So here's what we do. We've got this number, right? If you're thinking, you know what, I'm in but I don't know how to do this, and feel free to snap a picture of it or something like that or type it in your phone. You don't need to do something right now. But uh, 903-202-0974. And if you, you shoot a message and, and put in your name and your email and say, hey, I, I think I could disciple somebody if there was a need. Or you might say, you know what? I'd love to be discipled by somebody. Say kind of which one you want, right? You get it. And we'll see what happens. Again, we're not, this isn't our expertise area here, but we'd love to facilitate something good like this. All right, let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for another day, and we don't take it for granted. As we think through disciple making and fighting the good fight, we are first thankful and in awe of your divine passivity that we do not have to muster up strength or courage or willpower, but that you do this for us. And in light of that, as we cooperate in faith through you, we ask that you would do good work that you do through discipleship making. We love you. We thank you for being a God that loves us enough to die. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.